Hi, and welcome to the Making Our Way podcast. This week, our guest is Rob Rojas of Rojas Carpentry. He tells us all about his experiences, restoring tools, and his hand tool cabinet. Thanks for listening. What up, guys? What y'all been up to? Hey, yo, yo, yo. <laughs> Not too much. Christy, what you did this weekend? Well, it's the first uh, of the month, the first week of the month, and that's usually when I'm focusing on my business as far as the accounting side of what I do, uh, because I want to get folks their financials and their reports out within the first um, roughly 10 days of the month. So that's my focus like at the beginning. And then as the month goes on, catch up in, in other projects and stuff. So really, I haven't been in the shop this past week because uh, I've really been trying to do a lot of things in the office. But um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was. Um, you know it's what? Been... I, I, I let me cut. Sorry, I'm cutting you off. Uh, That's okay. I've heard some good things from some of your clients, and they were oh. saying how you've been kicking them numbers of like where their money's coming from. You know, it's like these influencer people. So it's mm -hmm. like they've got money coming from all different directions, and they said that it's been awesome because they've been to able to target like, hey, yeah. actually, this is where I've been making the most of my money, and they didn't realize that, so they can put more of their effort into that location. That's cool. And, uh, so I just okay. thought I wanted to uh, pass that along to you that 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 they've been telling me that's oh, been good. really helpful. So yeah, I've I mean this change in my career has been the most fantastic experience because I've enjoyed working you know with everybody and helping them understand the numbers because I realize most folks don't like doing their own bookkeeping and that's just the reality of it and they don't have time or energy to do it. So I love helping them dig into it. You know what it is is. A lot of times when you have your own business, it's it's almost like you're driving from the back seat. Like oh, right. you don't really know what's going on, but you're like, take a left, you know, and <laughs> and you're like, if you if you're their navigator now and you can be yeah. like, hey, these are these are way dialed in directions for you to follow now. Right. And I think that that's so um, valuable. And I think that a lot of people should be able to take advantage of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been, like I said, it's been a lot of fun, whether it's, you know, some folks they're making content and some folks they're making projects. So, you know, it's, it's just been, it, it's been just the best transition for me and um, to be able to kind of show them numbers, help them understand and just kind of, you know, walk with them as they're growing their business. Right. It's gotta be way more rewarding than the work you oh, were doing before. Absolutely. And, uh, it's, you know, you saying that you can walk with them, you should send them a plaque at the end of the year and say, look back and you see only one thing of footprints. Oh. <laughs> and that was when I was carrying you to the promised land, you know. I don't know that I want to put myself in Jesus's shoes, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, um, I've really been enjoying it and uh, it, it'll be interesting, you know, as, as folks wrap up their year and be able to start their new year looking at 2024 rather than worrying about what their 2023 numbers look like, you right. know, because I, I understand that keeping up with it is a lot of, it's very time consuming. And so um, I, I realize that most folks are kind of behind in that. And that's, that's what I'm here for. That's what I want to help folks get caught up and keep caught up with their financials so that they can, like you said, make business decisions, see where things are, you know, pluses and minuses so they can kind of pivot and improve their business. That's what I'm all about. Right on. Absolutely. What have you been up to, Dean? Uh, I went to my sister's this last weekend. Uh, my niece was in a play. 
So, you know, Gronko got to show up uh, with a karaoke machine and a drone. So each of the girls got to see what it's like, you know, to live with someone else, you know, have someone else spoil you. And so we did karaoke all night, Friday night. I unveiled them separately. Karaoke all night, Friday night. And then drone was all day Saturday. It only got caught in both girls' hair multiple times, which I don't understand. How? What the fuck are you doing that you're letting a drone get that close to your face? I don't know. But You're um, feeling the breeze. You're feeling yeah, the breeze. Something. And then my favorite was they would like yell at the dogs like, no, Coco, don't. And Coco's laying on the couch and they're like landing the drone, like frame her. <laughs> they're like landing the drone on her. And then, no, don't touch it. I'm like, what do you think she's going to do? You're You're attacking Godzilla with a helicopter. It's going down. <laughs> I whenever you had the clips of the karaoke with your niece, it was so funny because she was like all into it. And she was I know she wanted to say, Mom and Dad, back off. Me and Uncle are here. Grunkle are here to do our karaoke. You guys were like, so she's I was so funny. Totally you got to negotiate everything like nothing <laughs> is. It's not like, all right, time to go to bed. OK, no, it's everything is a negotiation. And so wow. she just had it like Taylor Swift after one after another after another. And I said, well, how about I pick a song, then you pick a song. And I said, I tell you what, even on my songs, we won't do the whole thing. But like, let's just mix it up. And so she was okay with that. And she would try. uh, And she did pretty good, actually, for some of the songs I know she had never heard before. I will say when we did the new kids on the block, the right stuff. And I tried to do the the foot shuffle dance. The uh, uh, Oh, I remembered it being a lot easier. And Kristen reminded me that was probably 100 pounds ago. The last time I was doing that (laughs) uh, choreography. But um, no, it was it was a good time. The drone was a good time. But even more than that, I always love Caitlin has a list of projects for me every time I show up. And so um, this list wasn't that bad, actually. It started with uh, she couldn't get the key to turn the gas on for the fireplace. And so I wanted to take the whole panel down and rehang. What happened was when she painted uh, this panel, it shifted. And so uh, the the like little hole that where you would put the key in shifted and you couldn't access the the bolt or whatever to turn to turn the gas on for the fireplace well i want to take the whole panel down like cut the paint remount it and she's like could you just drill the hole bigger and so i <laughs> i just took a hole saw bit and uh you know reamed it out a little bit so got that done for pretty quick and then we did something else right after that that she was like wow i didn't think that'd be that fast and i'm sure i'll remember in a second but the last one was uh put up a ring light and let me tell you oh yeah first off kudos to ring Oh, you know, the second thing was, was uh, she's got a projector outside that she just puts on the side of the pool. Well, there's like a fence there. So if you sit on the couch, you're watching this projector through the fence and she wanted, it's so like kids don't jump off the waterfall and it's for safety. She's like, can we get rid of that? My kids, I'll just tell them don't do it. I'm like, yeah, we'll see how well that works out. And so uh, we took that down and it was like three minutes. She couldn't believe how fast it was to take it down. But the last one was the ring camera. So first off, kudos to companies like that man, they really go out on their design to make it as easy as possible. And it had one of the neatest features of any floodlight or anything like that I'd ever mounted. When you put the base up, there's a hook molded into the base. And then on the light fixture itself, like while you're wiring the fixture, there's a strap with a loop and you can clip that to the to the base and it would hang there and you're not having to hold the light while you're putting the nuts oh. on all these wires and maybe I just buy cheap stuff, but I'd never seen functionality like that. But for all the kudos I'm going to give them, I'm going to MF them on. I wanted to use their, you know, so if you ever hang, hung a light before, 
you have your junction box in the wall and then there's usually uh, like a metal bar and a lot of times it'll have studs on it or it'll have like another metal plate that swivels and there's studs on that and your light slips onto those studs and then you put the bolts on well this was just a singular one because you put one screw through the middle of the mounting plate into that brace and then you put the light on the mounting place that had the hook and everything well i'm using their supplied brace their supplied screw and it cross threads into the brace and i'm using a hand Ooh. screwdriver and it mm. cross threads and i can't back it out and i can't go any further in and i'm just i spent 45 minutes trying to get this off and i'm at caitlin's house it's not like she has right. you know, a giant tool chest to get whatever i need out of so we ended up just taking a i I think I took the screws off the brace again, pulled it off the wall, and then we used a sawzall and a pair of pliers. And I held it, and she cut the uh, cut the screw out, and then we ended up putting the old bracket back up. Uh, but having said all that, uh, that was a lot of fun. And what was neat when I was up there, I was kind of looking around. I was like, oh, I built that table, and I built that table, and I built that shelf, and I did made those candle holders, and I made this cutting board. And so it's always nice when you get to see your stuff being used. It's not like I made it and it's in a cabinet somewhere or it's just on display because, oh, it's too nice. I don't like the stuff is out being used. Uh, the day before I showed up, four chickens were roosting on that table that you remember the table that I had to yes. do all the cuts on the bottom. Of my last, the chicken and there's chicken shit all over the top of the table. But I was like, don't worry about it. It's got marine grade varnish on it. It should come off. And, and if not, who gives a shit? It's a it's a table. Yeah, that chicken shit on top matches that chicken shit work, workmanship on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, well, nobody's looking at the bottom of it, man. <laughs> They're only looking at the top. So, uh, but no, it was a good trip. And then uh, we came home Sunday and, I, you know, it's funny with the time change. I don't know about you guys, but we got home and plenty of time. And I walked out here and turned the 3D printer on and went to make some stuff. And I was just like, I don't have it tonight. I'm going inside, took a shower, went to bed. I, I've been going to bed early every night, so. But yeah, it was a productive weekend in Baton Rouge. Billy made a gumbo. That's always a good maker project. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, we were sitting there and he asked my wife, he's like, hey, what do you think about red beans for dinner tomorrow night? I was like, nope, that ain't it. And he goes, gumbo? <laughs> I go, there's the right answer. And he didn't want to have to do all that, but he he was a good soldier and he he hooked me up. So I appreciate it. Shit, he should hook you up. You've furnished this whole goddamn house. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Austin? What you been up to? Um, so I got some cool news today that uh, uh, Facebook is put, has put me back into the Reels bonus program for the holidays. Oh, nice. So they are matching the ad revenue that I earn for the month up to like 500 bucks or something like that. So like if you make 500, you get like a 500. You know, that's rough numbers. Sweet. Um, so that's cool. That's free money, basically. You know, yeah. doubling it. That was cool. And I also saw that Instagram's CEO announced that they are going to be rolling out reels bonuses in the US again. Oh, um, nice. For selected people out. So who knows what that means? Mm, yeah. But um, so I'm hoping that I get that this year because I never had that. Last year I was under their, you know, I was only at like a thousand followers, you know. Um, so I'm hoping that both of those will come through this year. And then uh, besides that, I've been um, doing a ton of just hexactos and just little parts to for pins. I'm just I'm in full like restock mode. Uh, and then I'm working on those scribes for house, um, the the co collaboration line that we're doing for Christmas time. So cool. between all those things, I've been at max capacity, <laughs> like I have zero free time right now. 
those steampunk pins you make, they sell pretty good. Oh yeah. Yeah. They normally, um, this is the first batch that I, I went heavy in this batch and it was, it's the first batch that hasn't sold out within like the first two days. So, which actually today is only day two, but yeah, but, uh, and I haven't sent out a newsletter yet. So I'm hoping those will all go this week. That'd be awesome. I thought about it. I saw you posted it on your uh, high caliber craftsman builds. Is that the Just high caliber craftsman craftsman account? And I thought about writing like these things are fucking dumb looking. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Write that on there. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to take a minute and thank the folks over on Patreon for the support that they give us. If you'd like to join them over there at patreon.com slash making our way podcast. On the top tier, we've got Marion Ward from Creative Ward Gallery, Scott Oram from Daddy Yourself, and Ozark Spirit. We want to remind everybody also that the uh, Making Our Way podcast ornament swap is coming up. It is due. You need to have an ornament finished and the photos sent to the Instagram um, DM with your finished ornament and your address. And then on the 6th-ish of December, I will um, mix up the addresses and then send out to everybody who you need to send your ornament to. So you have until December 5th to have a finished ornament and uh, send us a picture. And then we're also encouraging everybody to donate a toy or a gift or some sort of um, holiday item to your local children's uh, charity. And when you do that, shoot us a message as well and let us know. And then the podcast, we're also going to donate to a children's charity. So uh, and then the Dean's also making a uh, holiday coin. So you'll get that as well. So December 5th, have your ornament done. And then also, if you're going to donate to a children's charity, let us know. Just a few notes. Um, you know, hashtag is mouse swap 2023, M-O-W-S-W-A-P 2023. But no, you have to do a post or a reel with it for us to be able to find it. You do a story and use the hashtag. It doesn't show up when you search the hashtag. So mm-hmm. make sure you put it in a story or a post. And then we'll reshare it on the podcast. We'll probably put together like a little collection highlights of everybody who's participated. Um, Chrissy, we do how have many that, do we have? Three uh, or four? As far as finished ones, i not counting yours, or I guess if we do count yours, uh, we've got like five. So I do have a uh, favorites spot on the uh, podcast Instagram. And so we've got Ed's uh, Clocks and More has one for us. The McNeil's Wooden Creations has an ornament for us. Dead Rise Woodcrafts has his uh, folded holly. And then um, we also have Shade Crow Studios made a beautiful ornament. So there's some great ones coming in already, which is way earlier than last year when folks sent us in. So um, I think it's a a great sign that we're going to have a a lot of um, great ornaments this year, but yeah, check out the Instagram page, the favorites tab there for um, the 2023 ornaments and it's hashtag M O W S W A P 2023. This week we're joined by Rob Rojas Carpentry. Hey Rob, how you doing? Doing great. Good to see you. And uh, thanks for joining us. But before we get started, if you would tell everybody who you are and what you do. So my name is Rob Rojas, and uh, I'm a maker of many things. I enjoy many different trades, but I'm really finding that I truly love carpentry, and I'm trying to find my place in carpentry, whether it's hand tool woodworking or fine woodworking. I'm trying to find exactly where and what I want to do within that trade. 
And I've noticed that through your account, um, you are a collector of fine vintage tools and a hunter. Um, what, uh, what, what leads you to want to do that? So I first started out uh, looking to kind of buy and sell things to make some money when I was 16 years old. And I went oh, to swap cool. meets a lot as a kid. So I went and bought uh, Mustang interiors and some I did reupholstery oh, and things wow. like that. Nice. And um, along with that, you, you kind of find tools to swap meets too. And I was getting really into carpentry uh, and wood tech in high school. So um, I got the chop saw, I got the table saw, but I started looking at hand planes and I'm like, this is kind of cool stuff. And I'm, I started to find out that there was a market for them. So I started buying hand planes, started buying chisels, and then I kind of slowly upgraded to anvils and then bridge ports and, and power hammers and things oh like that. God. And that's kind of how I built my antique tool collection. But, um, you know, a lot of that was allowing me to learn about different tools and what I really like in the different trades as well. So really got into Lee Nielsen planes. Uh, when I started to build my shop up a lot more, I had a huge collection of antique tools and um, actually recently... I had sold a lot of them just because I want to focus down on custom handmade tools, like from Tony Rollo from Hillview Tool. Mm -hmm. um, I got a custom dovetail saw with Brazilian rosewood in it from uh, Diagnon Toolworks, and um, getting some more bevels from Tony as well. But um, yeah, I'm just really sinking my teeth into the uh, custom tools now and the high-end, high-grade hand tools for my fine woodworking. I noticed that you are heavy into restoring those tools as you get them. Were you also when you were 16 as you just start, you know, restoring them and flipping them. Is that how you're making your money? So I actually never restored the tools. I did a little bit for myself. And uh, of course, being 16 years old, you didn't have much money and I couldn't really drive around just yet. Or when I was first getting my license. I could actually start to go out and buy these hand planes. But um, yeah, I would sit down, I'd restore them myself and I'd use them myself. I typically saw that people didn't want to buy planes that were already restored unless they were a collector. Um, so typically I would be very good at sourcing these antique tools and giving them to people who want to restore these tools. People who watch Eric of Hansel Rescue, they they want to know what it is like to, to restore a hand tool. And technically they're getting a little bit cheaper. I can get them really cheap and I can still sell it to them quite cheap as well. So everybody wins at the end of the day. Yeah. Especially but, um, you not having to do all the grunt work. <laughs> exactly. So that, that that is a big thing, you know. Um, but but people want that enjoyment and that experience of being able to restore that hand plane, knowing how to do it, knowing how to sharpen it. And um, you know, I think that's a really big thing when you're getting into hand tool woodworking. Cool. What's uh what are some of your go-to techniques for when you actually are doing some of your restoration work? So I Hansel Rescue had that kind of a craze with the Evaporos when that first came out and everyone was buying it. And I, I loved using it. Um, it really took a lot of the grunt work out of it. But um, at the end of the day, you know, it's it kind of gets sticky. It kind of gets smelly. And uh, I just like to go right for the wire wheel, honestly. That gets the majority of the rust off. That can shine some stuff up. But uh, to get that hand plane really working as it should, you need a super flat surface, like a piece of float glass or a piece of granite and uh, some sandpaper to get those surfaces flat sharp and square so that that is your optimal kind of uh contingencies for a restoring plane okay uh, where are you where are you starting at and where are you ending up uh with your you know like your grits um is it does is it based on like how rough the tool is or do you just kind of have like a set process mm -hmm. so and there's no real set process it just really depends on how bad the tool is some tools just need a quick scuff with some steel wool maybe or uh really high grit sandpaper or sometimes you can just go right to the stone and sharpen it as is but generally if something's really rough it's got a lot of pitting you want to go right for like 60 grit sandpaper for flattening a uh, plain sole 
but once it's generally flat, you can work your way up to grits pretty quickly. And, um, you know, you could, you could really just use a plain bottom at 60 grit if you wanted to, because I don't think they were going any higher than that at the factory back then after sending the castings. But a lot of guys like to go for a mirror polish, perfectly flat, um, typically for blades. Uh, I didn't when I when I first started, I only went up to about 600 grit, maybe a thousand grit for my hand planes. And that was good doing some general work. Um, now I'm up to 16,000 doing my uh, my hand planes. So that's wow. past that. You don't really feel a difference. So when I when I shave a piece of wood with one of my hand planes, it leaves a mirror finish that I can see color in basically. It's, nice. it's it's incredible. Depends on the type of wood, but say cherry would give you a really nice mirror finish. Where do you source 16,000 grit sandpaper? They don't have that at Lowe's. So at this point, it's not sandpaper anymore. I'm using uh, water stones and diamond mm-hmm. stones. Diamond stones uh, is for the really rough stuff. And then I have a four by 10 lapping plate that I actually use to um, flatten my stones. But uh, that 16,000 grit stone is a Shapton stone. And you can buy that off of Amazon, but it's from Japan. A super, super fine grit. But um, it's been lasting me quite a while, and it just leaves such a nice finish uh, after hand planing or chiseling or whatever tool you might be using. I feel like uh, if you got some of the like low grade toilet paper, that's about sixteen. That's great. <laughs> like, actually, it might be so a little rougher. Lot, yeah, I think it might be a little rougher. <laughs> you might be rubbing for a while, but uh, yeah, maybe that would work. <laughs> yep, both in the shop and in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rob, one of the big projects that you've really put a lot of time and effort into is your tool cabinet. Why don't you tell us what is this tool cabinet and kind of go into uh, just some of the inspiration you had when it came to designing this cabinet. So my hand tool cabinet is for my hand tools. I really like having a uh, big open wall as opposed to a bunch of drawers or a bunch of boxes because drawers are just where things go to die and you you don't see them. You forget they're there. You pile things on top of them. Not a great layout. Um, so I like laying it out up on the wall. It's easy to grab. That's kind of my rule for for small shop work or even big shop work. If you have to move something to get to what you're trying to get to, then it's you're not set up right. Granted, if you have a small shop, you can put things on wheels. That's fine. But this tool cabinet kind of displays all the beautiful tools I've been collecting over time. And it's just much more easily accessible for when I need to grab something. I can throw it right back. Uh, magnets, hangers, all that kind of stuff. But I never had a tool cabinet and all of my really expensive, fancy hand tools with perfectly sharp edges were actually bouncing around the shop. They were on shelves. They were on my safe. Uh, they were bouncing around the workbench, sometimes getting knocked off the table. And that's not the greatest thing for your hand tools. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I really wanted a cabinet. And the problem is, is I'm more of a buy once, cry once kind of person now. Um when I was younger, I, I drove a Jeep Wrangler and I bought all the cheapest parts for it all the time. And the thing broke down all the time. <laughs> now I got myself a new F-150. I buy the most expensive parts for it. I don't care. It's It just makes life a lot easier. So I do the same thing oh, with yeah. my hand tools. Um, so all these nice tools need a nice place to rest. And then I'm not going to go for a, a quick little, you know, plywood cabinet. I might as well go for the most expensive thing you can imagine. <laughs> so uh, I work in a moldy and millwork shop in upstate New York uh, during the week, as well as Jimmy's, but I am able to touch every single piece of wood that passes through that building. If there is curl, if there is burl, if there is bird's eye, if there is spalted ambrosia, I get first pick of anything I want in any type of wood. Oh, and awesome. I buy it at, you know, whatever cost. But um, I was able to secure enough uh, curly maple, super, super figured curly maple, all the same color from the same tree, same batch. And then uh, 
I have an obsession with Brazilian rosewood and I want all my tools to have Brazilian rosewood handles. So naturally, curly maple and Brazilian rosewood cabinet. Yeah. So that cabinet consists of curly maple going around the edges. The whole frame is built of curly maple. That's a three foot by four foot box. Uh, it has a shelf in the middle that is sliding dovetailed in. All the other dovetails are hand cut on the edges. These sliding dovetails are cut with a router. And then I have four drawers in this unit. Those four drawers are veneered in Brazilian rosewood. They're four-way book matched as well. That was uh, an incredibly hard find. I had to source that. I, I kind of find some guy on eBay that was selling a couple little pieces. And I said, hey, uh, by any chance you have any more? And uh, he's like, give me a call. So I call the guy. He's from like Western PA or something. But he starts talking in this you know, country accent and, you know, whatever. And he's like, yeah, I own a veneering company out there and <laughs> whatever. But he's got huge warehouses of veneers. And one of the companies he bought out, he bought a pallet of Brazilian rosewood veneers oh, wow. off of this company. He bought oh, wow. out. And he hasn't really known what to do with it because he technically can't really have it. But, um, you know, I made friends with the guy and I've, I've bought quite a bit off of him at this point. I have a, a good stock going but um i use those four-way book match pieces of rosewood for my drawers because it just it was beautiful did you just veneer the fronts or the whole drawers or how'd you do just that? just the drawer fronts at some point i got to okay i got all this curly maple very expensive i got all this brazilian rosewood okay very expensive okay i got about four inch drawer slides which are a little harder to find than you'd think um i got the nice you know maple plywood all that and uh, I got rosewood to do all the tool holders and everything on the inside. And I said, okay, I got to build my drawers now. What scrap wood do I have laying around <laughs> that is worthy <laughs> enough? Because I, I, I I'm quite a bit into this cabinet now, full brass hardware and everything. And um, I used walnut for the drawer fronts. And then I put a near Brazilian rosewood face on that. The sides are made of curly maple. The piece that's behind the drawer front in the box, in the drawer box, is ambrosia maple and the back is ambrosia maple and then the drawer bottoms are walnut oh wow so just whatever i could kind of get together any straight grain funky looking stuff and i i, I kind of like that that it's kind of a mishmash of whatever i could find you mentioned that it has a french cleat on the back is that mm -hmm. because you envision this you know moving as you grow and, and your shop spaces grow or are you actually transporting this places so I was transporting a little bit for Maker's Camp for the restoration station tenant we were doing, but generally I see a French cleat being the strongest thing to hold this cabinet that weighs quite a bit. Um, the only way I could really figure to hang this thing would be to uh, drill screws straight through the uh, the backer there, and I, I don't want to do that. So French cleat it is. Um, I didn't think of that until later in the design, and you can kind of see if you look closely at the pictures of uh, the tool cabinet on the wall. There's actually about a three quarter inch space off the wall. The cabinet's not flush to the wall because that was an afterthought. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's super strong. And yes, it will allow me to move uh, to different locations as I grow and as I move to different uh, shops and properties and whatnot. And um, I can take that and actually actually put that on a stand at the restoration station at Maker's Camp again. Talk to me about the layout when it comes to, you know, you've spoken about how nice it is to see your tools, be able to grab your tools. How did you decide what tools were going to go where, what the layout of this cabinet back was going to be? So I had to sit and stare at this cabinet for probably a good two months before I would even dare to start drilling yeah, holes wow. or anything for those yeah. brass <laughs> screws. Cause I'm just like, these are going to be here for the rest of my life. And if I take a screw out to move something, I'm going to have a, a hole in the project now. I don't, I don't want to have a hole. <laughs> so 
Uh, I kind of just started on one side and I put my longest hand plane, which is my Lee Nielsen number seven. And then I went to my number 62 I have, and then I went to my number four and eventually I'll get the 10 and a quarter and I've left a spot just for that one. Um, <laughs> so at least I have some kind of little slope going on with the different yeah. heights of the planes going towards the center and uh, chisels. I know chisels. I wanted to have a nice long rack and I believe I have nine, nine Lee Nielsen bevel edge chisels. So that one across the top, right. And then right below that, Chisels go with chisels, so I put mortar chisels right under that. I just slowly started to fill in, and it's more kind of figuring out how do I fill in the small spots now, or how do I fit these weird tools in here? I've I have a set of three of uh, Tony Rollo's bevel squares. Nice. Or not the bevel squares, excuse me, the uh, the tri squares. Mm-hmm. And um, I just had to fit them in somehow, but for some reason they they lined up perfectly with the planes. They lined up perfectly with each other, all square. It all worked out. And uh, now I'm trying to figure out like little two by two squares. I want to fill in it as much as possible because the biggest inspiration was um, three inspirations for that cabinet. But I had uh, the Studley tool chest. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that before. Incredible, incredible tool chest built 100 something years ago, I believe. Right, Austin? Yep. Something like that. And uh, it just completely packed solid with tools. And I really want to go for that look as well, but kind of keep it clean. Um, I went to see Anne of all trades down in Nashville and I saw her little tool cabinet she has there. And that just, that I just, I needed something like that to display my tools. And then she took me over to Greg Pennington's and that was another jaw dropping situation. He is an incredible shop there. He timber framed the whole thing. He built all the cabinets in his shop, the Windsor chairs, the shave horses, all the razor sharp tools everywhere. It's just a sight to see. And I, I want to bring that feel and, and warm wood feeling and tools into my own shop and life. And that's kind of the design I was going for with those figured woods and brass tools and rosewood and stuff like that. So the Studley tool case, uh, the, he was a piano maker, right? Um, and are you, and he, he kind of brought in a bunch of inlays and, and like what you would see in a piano, like, you know, pieces of ivory, that kind of thing. Uh, have you thought about trying to do any of that as you add tool holders, doing some things that, um, maybe bring in like your millwright or different, different little pieces of wood that are, you know, unique. Have you thought about doing that as you're adding? Cause, cause you're still kind of filling her in. Mm-hmm. Um, are you gonna, thinking about the, any of that kind of inspiration? Potentially. Um, there's, there's a lot of finite details in that chest that I would not have patience for, to be honest, yeah. because it's, <laughs> yeah. again, this is a project for me. It's not uh, something I'm making money on. So right. I, I would, I would work, you know, 14 hour days. Basically I, I work eight, nine, 10 hours at this job. I'd come home. I keep my boots on for another six hours or not six hours, maybe four hours working on my own personal commission projects I have to do. And I'd be deadbeat at the end of the night. Just want to take a shower and crawl into bed and I'd go 15 minutes of cutting dovetails, just 15 <laughs> minutes. And I did that for two years. And, uh, you know, of course I had a lot of things going on two jobs running Rojas carpentry and doing that. So any little smidgen of time I did that, but, uh, being able to do all those super intricate stuff. I, I don't know if I could ever find time for that, but, um, definitely I, I do like the little ornate details, like the chisel holder I have. I, I bought a tiny, tiny Roman OG bit for the, the sides and everything. Um, I'll get as detailed as I can for, for, you know, the amount of time I can spend on it. Sure. Well, you know, I, I feel like any kind of project like that, especially you're planning on carrying this with you for a lifetime. There's always time later yeah, to, that's true. That's you know, true. to trick it out. So, Rob, I wanted to dig into uh, something you've mentioned already this evening, the Maker Camp Restoration Station. So we were curious because you seem to be extremely busy all weekend and that place was just hopping all weekend. 
So we're kind of curious what, uh, how did that station come about and your part as far as the planning and the prep for that? So Nancy of Fox Hollow Rustics came to me and Animal Trades. They had this idea of doing the restoration station. And at the station, you could take a tool off the wall, you'd restore it, and we'll show you how to sharpen it, how to use it, and what you could use it for and everything. And you get to take that tool home at the end of the day. So we really wanted to get those basic tool restoration skills and those tool using skills down in that small amount of time we had over the weekend. And uh, we wound up giving away about 200 hand tools that weekend, probably a little over. But um, wow. yeah, it was it was quite a bit. And uh, I, I did not stop for those those three days. We actually Saturday around 3 p.m. We actually ran out of tools, but also we got rained out because we had about four or five yeah. inches of rain in the tent. It was it was like the funnel for the whole field down there. Yeah, you guys and, were uh, kind of right in the middle there. Yeah. Yeah, we we had to kick everybody out because it was just it was at the point where we're like we had I don't know, four extension cords completely submerged. We had no idea where they were, but they were still running oh. power. So we're like, all right, guys, let's let's wrap it up here. We'll we'll finish up tomorrow. <laughs> and um, you know, Sunday came. We didn't have any tools, but there was the flea market in the morning. And uh, Andrew Alexander of uh, Blacksmith Tools, he came by with about 30 block planes and a milk crate. He's like, Bought I bought these for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so save you Sunday to, to, to Andrew. But um oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and we then all those planes went Sunday too. But uh, yeah, in, in the planning aspect of everything, um, they came to me and, you know, we needed to source tools because this was a bit of a later addition to Makers Camp. Oh, uh-huh. I don't know if you guys noticed that the uh, that on the website wasn't exactly on there until like the last month, maybe. Oh, yeah, I had no was idea whole... what was going on over there until yeah. I, walked up, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. The whole schedule is like just said to be determined across every single time <laughs> slot. And we, again, this is the first time we're doing it. So we're not really sure how this is going to work. Nancy had never mm-hmm. even been to makers camp. Oh, right. Um, so, you know, she was having trouble, some trouble understanding like, Oh, we'll do this. We'll do this. I'm like, Nancy, you sure? She's like, yeah, yeah, we'll be fine. I'm like, okay. I'm like just, you know, <laughs> I was kind of telling her that I'm like, okay, let's, let's see. Let's see. And then at some point during the weekend, she was sitting on a hay bale, just kind of like trying to recoup during the rainstorm. I'm like, how you doing? She's like, it's a lot. I'm like, yeah, Maker's <laughs> Camp is a lot of people, you know, and we, again, yeah. we didn't follow any schedule that we set whatsoever. We did not do a single thing. I think Eric did one hand tool class uh, just because we were starting to run out of hand tools. But um, we just restored tools all weekend. We didn't do any of the teaching aspect and we still have to have a meeting for next year and to see what we're going to do, basically. But um, definitely a lot of improvements, definitely a lot of things we want to think about. But, uh, you know, sourcing hand tools, uh, getting everybody together and just Working with Austin to allocate what we needed for the tent, that was the big thing for, for Maker's Camp. Yeah, and for like the all of the tools that were given away at the beginning, where did they all come from? I know you mentioned Andrew brought like the second wave of them, but mm-hmm. like where did the first wave come from? Because there was, there was a lot. So besides Andrew, uh, we had a couple people during the day actually or before Maker's Camp come and drop off little boxes of tools and things, things that people didn't need anymore. And I donated probably about 30 hand planes myself just for my own boxes and collections mm-hmm. and things but uh the majority nancy and i both went out and bought uh hand planes at auctions at estate sales facebook marketplace ads anything we could really find and we're, we're buying hand planes for maybe you know five bucks a piece or mm. less and uh, then we're just we're giving them away nancy is sponsoring the whole tent you know she's she's taking care of all the the purchasing of the hand planes and tools and things uh you know hand planes block planes uh draw knives spoke shaves chisels etc we, we'll think about doing some more tools next year but that's the general kind of you know 
place that everyone came from. Yeah, I mean, it was it was so full in there, so busy, it seemed like all the time. And I'm like, okay, next year, I got to definitely make sure I get in on that. And I got to take my grandpa's uh, hand plane mm-hmm. that I've had for years and have not done anything with mm-hmm. it. We've, so. We had a couple of those. And uh, there was people who wanted to do take a hand plane and totally shine it up to mirror finish and everything. And they sat there for two and a half hours just doing the bottom, <laughs> you know, and then they kept going just, just the pure energy for it. But then there was some people like, hey, could we just make this work? But like, right. Yeah. Keep the patina. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. That's my favorite way to do it. You just flatten uh-huh. the bottom, you sharpen that blade really, really nicely, and then you hit it with WD-40, make sure everything's moving appropriately, and that plane mm-hmm. will take shavings almost as good as my Lee Nielsen planes. Nice, but, um, nice. It's just the the sweat you sweat you put into it, and um, as long as those three things are good, you, you have a perfectly upright hand plane. That's great. Uh, what are some things you're thinking for next year that you'd like to do different or kind of plan ahead uh knowing it was such a great success this last year next year it's just going to be even better i think absolutely and we we had a lot of people that were actually standing outside of the tent that wanted to do something and they just mm-hmm. couldn't uh because there was no space or we were running out of hand tools whatever it was so first things first we're getting a much much bigger tent next year and uh, that's Good. already set in stone austin's got it and uh, we're gonna have probably a tent that's double or triple the size next year Good. Um, we want more workstations. We need more pieces of granite. We had a lot of like small pieces of granite, which is okay for like chisels or like maybe a block plane. But then you get the person trying to take a number five or a number six and try to flatten that on a stone that's smaller than the plane itself, which is not. Oh work yeah. Out. So um, bigger stones. We want a bigger tent. We want more workspaces. We're gonna have a lot more tools next year. And um, maybe some sandbags. Maybe some sandbags. <laughs> We're going to dig a moat around the tent next year, just in case. I'm always <laughs> impressed at the, all the tools that y'all come across on the East Coast. That There just seems to be so many auctions or mm-hmm. you know, swap meets and stuff like that. I, I just don't come across that stuff. Well, that's, that's the great part, too. I mean, I'm, I'm in New York, right on the border of New Jersey. I mean, we have you know Connecticut right here. We have New York City. We have, well, upstate New York did a lot of, you know, production too. Pennsylvania, Jersey, like right here is where all the old tool production happened. And a lot of tools, you know, generally stay where they are because they're kind of heavy. But um, over the years, I guess there's such a concentration of machinists and, and, you know, hand tool workers and all that um, that just have all their tools around here. Just easy for, for me to get. And like I said, allocate the tools and then get it to other people across the country. Because I, I was in California for a little while and mm-hmm. I was looking at estate sales and stuff. I couldn't find anything. I found a fro in like the, the two years I was kind of like mustering around California for a bit. Couldn't find anything over there. I'm curious before we move off, uh, did anything come through the restoration tent that when you saw it in the restoration process, you were like, oh, wow, that's a really nice tool. Or how did that get in the, the pile? Like that's a that's something special. I think the only crazy looking thing I saw was a Stanley number 113 circle plane. Um, I think Eric brought that to do something with, but I don't think anything ever happened with it. Um, generally, it was it was all pretty standard stuff. Um, for the most part, people know kind of what they have nowadays. So all the planes we were getting were kind of the lower end planes or cheapy planes. But the thing is, we if you put that sweat into it again, you can make it shave perfectly. 
Right. It doesn't matter the quality of the plane as long as you put the work into it. No, that's awesome. And that was awesome uh, gesture that y'all had for what a great thing to go to a camp, put in that kind of effort and leave with such a nice uh, memento or souvenir. Rob, another thing we wanted to kind of pick your brain on, I know we really like to talk about the projects and we've talked about your cabinet. We've talked about some of the other things you do, but you had mentioned to us that right now you're also trying to figure out who you are as a craftsperson or a maker. And I'm think our audience would like to hear that process, you know, what you're going through and uh, just what this journey has been like for you and where you've been and where you think you're going. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I kind of started out in the whole making thing, doing uh, automotive stuff. So I was working on cars with my dad uh, before I could walk, basically bringing over <laughs> tools and things like that. And um, when I got into high school, I got into wood tech and I always like building things out of cardboard, Play-Doh, Legos, all that kind of stuff my whole life tearing toys apart, seeing how they work mechanically. And then I got the wood tech in high school and I really, really loved uh, just, just woodworking. I really got into it. And, um, you know, I always liked woodworking. I always tried to get into more trades like welding. I did some machining, leather work, uh, CNC, laser design, all that kind of stuff. And I still do all that stuff and I really love it. But I've needed to center down and really find what I'm passionate about and what I can really be lucrative in and what I'm really good at. I've determined that's carpentry in the past couple of years, and I'm really focusing in on my carpentry skills. And now begins the journey of development into what exactly I want to do in carpentry and like kind of what's my niche in carpentry? What what do I like to do? And what what are you focusing on? I mean, what are you what's grabbing your attention? At the moment, intricate staircases. Intricate staircases. Uh, carving of staircases is definitely not on the list. Okay. <laughs> but um, kind of doing, you know hand tool woodworking furniture like fine work uh, fine woodworking furniture um dovetails uh you know mortise and tenon type stuff um i'm gonna go take a windsor chair making class with oh, uh, Greg awesome. pennington in a january with a couple friends but um yeah i'm just i'm just trying to find exactly what i want so far it's just hand tools and uh kind of cabinets i do a lot of like kitchen islands and stuff like that out of solid wood um we're working on a bedroom set pretty soon and a walnut um Really furniture at the moment. I just want to find out what kind of furniture I, I like to do. That's awesome, man. And we can't wait to follow along with the journey. Hopefully you post a lot of pictures, a lot more than you have of your tool cabinet. <laughs> Got to get uh, more <laughs> pictures of that up. Coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> Rob, we've reached the part of the podcast. Um, I call this or that where I'm going to give you a few options and just kind of fill out uh, your opinion on things. I'm going to assume you're a guitar player. Uh, Not really. <laughs> You've had two guitars I, behind you. So I used to play instruments when I was uh, going through like middle school, high school. I played the viola, actually. That's a little known fact. Oh. Uh, so I played viola. I played guitar a little bit and I played drums. But um, I just kind of weaned off of it over the years. And I, I recently wanted to start picking it up. So I, yeah. I have a, a guitar behind me or two. And um, I just can pluck strings here and there. I can't really play. But, you know, well, that's one of the ask... side dreams in life. I'll yeah. Eventually I'll get there. What's your go-to song to make the lady swoon? But I guess I'll scratch that one off. Please um, do. <laughs> <laughs> What's your uh, dream hand tool that you haven't gotten yet? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I'm going to stick to woodworking here. But, oh, man. Would this be a tool that I would use or just to collect, maybe? It's whatever you want it to be. I mean, I guess something I've always been searching for is a Stanley number one. Um, I love the type 13 Stanley hand planes. That's the one set that I'm really trying to put together. So Stanley 
Bailey Type 13 Sweetheart. So it's got the Sweetheart iron, uh, the Rosewood handles, and then it has the ones I collect. They still have the sticker on the handle. Mm, Good condition. So I'm being very specific about it because I've been through, I don't know, 300 hand planes at this point, buying and selling or, you know, just just transferring hands. But, uh, you know, probably a Stanley number one with the the Sweetheart sticker still on the handle. That'd be my thing I'm looking for. That's awesome. What about a power tool that you think complements a hand tool woodworker the best? Complements a hand tool woodworker the best. I mean, I would I would just have to say a table saw, I guess, because okay. honestly, that that was going to be uh, part of my three tools. Well, we're <laughs> getting there, so <laughs> so we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Um, Maple, if you had to pick a favorite, uh, you know, genre of that. Curly, bird's eye, quilted, or spalted? Curly, for sure. Curly, I love it. All right, man, that was all I had for this or that. Y'all have anything? I've got a question. How much does a, a Stanley number one, isn't that a super rare, like difficult to find plane? So the funny thing is everyone thinks that the, the rarest Holy Grail plane, it's actually not as hard to find as you might think it is. Um, okay. It's just because it's portrayed as so desirable that it has such a high price point and people don't want to get rid of it because it's in their collection. Uh, in reality, they made a lot of those things back in the day. The problem is they weren't as useful. So, you know, when the war came around, they needed cast iron. They were throwing Stanley number ones in the melting pot to make mm. war machines, basically. Um, you know, that's kind of where a lot of them went. But uh, they they are still pretty plentiful, but they are just so desirable. That's why they're expensive. So, I mean, you can you can find them from probably anywhere from eight hundred to twenty five hundred dollars, depending on condition. OK, cool. All right. Well, since we're talking about tools, let's go straight into the three tools question. If you're going to start your workshop over from scratch, mm-hmm. what's the first three tools you're going to get? Okay. So a table saw with a really good fence, because if the fence is trash, then the whole thing is trash. Yeah. yeah. But um, table saw is a huge thing because you can do cross cutting, whether you can do ripping, you can do angles, you can make a sled for it. And it can really do anything like a chop saw would do, basically, I think. Um, I've only recently made a table saw sled for myself and i'm really enjoying it so um yeah definitely a table saw with a good fence uh the next thing would be a lenielson number five and a half now disclaimer i do not own one of these but it's kind of the thing where if i had one which one would i have uh, a number five is known as a jack plane um then you have a jointer plane which is a you know a number seven number eight and then you have a smoothing plane which is like kind of like a number four and down and a jack plane is a jack of all trades, so it does both. And I want to go with the five and a half because the five and a half is a little bit wider and uh, it's got a little extra weight to it. So it carries through the wood a little bit better. So I'd go with five and a half for the hand plane. And then uh, finally, a real nice set of uh, beveledge chisels from Lee Nielsen. Hmm. Nice. Okay. I never right, knew man. I'd know somebody who knows so much about hand planes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit need, of passion there. Yeah. You need to write the Rob Rojas book of hand planes. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. It would be good because I have like the numbers. I'm like, is that a little measurement? Is that a, <laughs> you know, what is that? I don't even, I have, I have zero clue when it comes to hand planes. So, yeah. And it but, doesn't seem like they're in sequence though, either the number or um, is it? So, Stanley. I guess Stanley, they have hundreds and hundreds of numbers, of course. Um, but I think those that first basic set of hand planes, the number one to the number eight, definitely is a size order kind of thing. You have the smoothing plane, oh, okay. the jack plane, the four plane, then you got the two joining planes. 
Um, otherwise, Stanley numbers go which way all over the place. They have a couple duplicate numbers as well from different tool sets, but um, generally just the, uh, you know, the planes matter number wise. Everything else is, you know, no idea. <laughs> oh. Hey, I did not know that at all. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, that's it for us. Um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. If you Thank would, you. please tell everyone where they can find you. So you can find me uh, at Rojas Carpentry and pretty much any app you want to find me on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. And don't be afraid to shoot me a message. I, I love to answer questions. I love to talk to new people. And if I get to see a makers camp or any other events, WorkbenchCon, come say hi. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Rob. Well, all right, thanks so much for you. coming on. Have a good night. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We'd like to say a special thanks for the folks over on Patreon in the middle tier. We've got Tony Langer from Langerworks, Susan Duplantis from Hearth and Garden Art, Stephanie Taddeo, and Kyle with Footwork Woodworking. All right, guys. Talking to Rob, I wish I would have gone to the restoration station at Makers Camp. That's one thing I could totally kick myself because I've got a number of things that I wish I had taken with me to do there, which I definitely will be next year, or just getting that extra bit of hands-on knowledge and experience to see what what things are supposed to look like and feel like. Cause I think that's kind of the tricky part, whether it's like for me, I've got a hand plane that I need to restore. I've got a leg vise, you know, all that kind of stuff. But what about for you guys, what old tools have you guys restored? Austin, what do you got? Um, The biggest absolute biggest project i did was restoring my uh rockwell mill the machine mm. mm-hmm. that was a gigantic undertaking i think it all in took two years but wow yeah it but was, you even upgraded it too oh yeah no doubt yeah it's it it was in sad shape and then by the time i was finished it's like modern almost i mean you know not cnc but as modern as you can get with the dro's and everything like that. And I upgraded all the bearings and the spindles and, you know, made it, made it way better than it was probably originally. That's handy. Yeah. And I also, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but like I, I changed the colors of, so it would have back when mine was made, it was a two-tone machine. I'm laughing. Cause what do you think? I think of that. Oh, modify everything. Right. Yeah, yeah. Change all of yeah. it. <laughs> Well, you, well, you know, first so, thing I would change. Somebody's got to come in here as the, the you know, the <laughs> other side. So, <laughs> so he's gonna be like, "You fucked it up," you know? No. Oh uh, yeah, we could do that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so I changed the colors of it. I like, I liked that it was two tone, um, but it was like a tan and a and a um, a gray together which i thought was really weird yeah so i swapped it and i went black and gray i just thought it would be way way you know more sleek looking more yeah more, that's a good combo thing. yeah and um and i thought for sure that i would hear it from like the rockwell purists like rockwell mm-hmm. never made black machines you know which they they didn't and uh i thought i would hear more flack about it but most of the most of the comments i've gotten have been like man that thing looks slick being nice. black yeah yeah that's it. Black don't crack. Black son. don't crack. That's it. Millie vanilli. <laughs> yep. So that was that's definitely been my biggest project. Um, and there was so much of a learning curve because like I the original power feed, which is like what makes the table move at a 
consistent speed, you know, without oh, me cranking yeah. the hand wheel. Um, it was missing off the machine when I got it. So I got a Bridgeport um, power feed and a Bridgeport and a Rockwell are not the same size. A, Bridge, a Bridgeport mm. is a full size machine. A Rockwell is like a two thirds size machine. Oh, okay. So they're not, they're not direct bolt in. So I had to take the actual um, lead screw, which is what cranks the table back and forth out of the machine, put it in a lathe and modify the one whole end of it to change it, to make, to make it basically, I, I found uh, drawings for um, a bridge port, the end of a bridge port lead screw. And I just made my own extension that went onto the Rockwell lead screw to turn it into a bridge port end so that I could put the, uh, the modern power feed. Cause you can't find the original ones. Like they're just non-existent. That's yeah. awesome. It was definitely a learning curve. It was like, the, this is the longest thing I've ever put in my lathe. Um, you know, I had to like use a steady rest and like I was all the way, my tailstock was all the way at the end of my lathe, which, you know, I, I'm never, most of the time I'm making pens. pens. So I was going like, to say, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like this gigantic leap. And it was cool, like doing that kind of, I, I enjoy that kind of project so much more than anything else because number one, there's like, consequences right like oh, i only yeah. have one of these things if you fuck it up that's it it's game over like we have to f- make a whole new one from scratch which is not easy because it's like a you know acme screw you know and, and huge <laughs> um acme christy is like a special type of thread that you'll see like on a vice it's like oh, a very strong thread it's it's not the coyote it's not and, the coyote uh, the yeah, no, oh, no no okay. no wily no um i don't yeah, so it would be a big deal to have to make a new one of these. And um and I think just that pressure of like trying to make this thing better than it was without fucking it up. Yeah. Yeah. And you're 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 pu- I was totally pushing myself. Like I never used the steady rest that far away from the chuck and you know, I'm indicating it in and everything was very critical. So it uh it was when it all worked, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe it actually worked, you know? Yeah. Like, so much for just being a pretend machinist. This is like a real machine. <laughs> you know? But what about you guys? We got something that um Yeah, that I mean you or? I think uh if you know me, I just go buy it new. I, I don't have a lot of you know antique tools I'm trying to save. And a lot of that comes down to there's just no auctions I, I don't know if it's there's so many trades people or people who are more active in searching so they're getting everything before you have an opportunity but myself and my father-in-law bought it and he stripped it down and he restored it so i never really had a hand in working on it the only thing is i got some of kristen's great grandfather's lathe tools hand tools and so yeah. i did you know rust remove and clean up and resharpen those but original grips and i, I didn't have to do a whole lot the only project I've had where I've really restored or, or taken something apart to put back together was my car. And it's not that it was in bad shape or anything. It's an 87. And after, you know, 30, 40 years, wires start to break and molding start to go bad and rubber goes bad. And so the biggest thing I had was I had this center console full of controls and none of the controls worked. So there's oh. a door lock switch that didn't work. The air condition didn't work. And I had kind of committed if I can get rid of this center console it'll just open up the whole floorboard of the car the car make it feel just like a, it's a target top like i just wanted this real open experience and mm-hmm. so i called a carpet company that 
makes new carpets for the car, they have like the dies to cut all the pieces or whatever. And I asked him, can you cut 50 square weave carpet, but use the templates for the eighties, uh, plush carpet. And they're like, are you sure? I was like, this is what I want. I want square <laughs> weave carpet from a fifties car, but I'm want it cut to fit in an eighties car. And they did it. And what was crazy was I did this on my own. Like, this is what I wanted. I wanted like this Volkswagen kind of vibe, this hot rod right. vibe for a car that I couldn't afford. Uh, I couldn't afford a three, five, six, nine, 11. That's, that's what I wanted. Something more like that. But mm -hmm. at this time, this whole, uh, you know, hot rod vibe was getting into the Porsche community and there's a singer car and a Gunther works and, and all these other hot rod builders. And they started doing the same thing. And it was just kind of by coincidence. It all happened at the same time, but the two biggest projects I did on the car, but so I did some basic engine maintenance stuff. I didn't do any hot rodding, but you know, gaskets and seals and spark plugs and stuff like that. But I removed the side mirrors. It had these real eighties, Flag mirrors are called these real big rectangles, you know, that DOT probably required. I got rid of those and I've got these little bitty race mirrors. It's like a three inch circle that you can barely see out of. So I figured out a way to mount those back onto the original holes. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Then I ripped all the carpet out and I went from white to black. So it was white vinyl, white leather, white carpet, white leather seats. And mm. now it's gray carpet, black vinyl or leather. And um, my seats are black with a plaid in center section but oh, nice. ripped all that out and i also took all the sound deadening out so it had 1980s technology sound deadening which was super thick tar heavy stuff and i sat there with a scraper and citrus peel and mm -hmm. yeah and just i would go in there i'd turn the music on in the garage and i'd just sit in the car for three hours scraping uh this stuff off and then put Dynamat back down, and um, it's just much lighter, much better stuff, and some some other closed cell insulation. And then I put the carpet kit in. But one thing was because I'd modified some stuff. I removed that center console. I also removed my back seats. I cut the bracket like you can't put back seats in it. I took a Dremel and I cut all the mounting brackets so it's smooth. The buckets are there, but there's no mounting points for the backs of the seats or anything. And so I had to kind of work the carpet kit to make it fit. Uh, these changes I had made. And then I took the seats out. This was one thing, my one of my first welding projects that I was like, well, you know, if I die, I die. It's what it is. The seat belts mounted to the seat in the 80s. Well, I took those out. Well, I have nowhere to put the seat belt because the hot rod seats I bought, they don't have mounting. So I had to make a plate. Oh, I had mm -hmm. to make a plate that these new seats could bolt onto and then it would bolt onto where the original seats were and then weld a mounting point with a a nut on the back and everything to bolt the seatbelt to. And I kind of thought if I get in a wreck, the car's so small, I'm going to die anyway. The seatbelt's not going to do anything, but <laughs> right. at least it's there. You know, Johnny Law pulls me over. I've got my seatbelt on. So um, it's been a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to, I'm going to be talking about the car a lot more the next few weeks uh, because I, I've got a lot of projects going on with it. And uh, no, it's, it's been a lot of fun. When I was a kid, I always wanted, a 911 and I'm very fortunate that I've got one. I got one right before the prices went wild. I bought that car in 2013, I believe. Kristen would know, but I think it was 2013. So it's I've had it about 10 years now. It's an 84? 87. 87. Sweet. Yeah. Nice. It's so much work. <laughs> so much work yeah. to, to put in. Yeah, but you know what's funny? And I, I bet you feel the same way about the the mill. If like when you listen to Rob talk about the passion, like 
I was fine with that. Like I was fine. Cause honestly, the longer the work took, the more money I was saving. Cause I wasn't buying more parts. Like, <laughs> I could just buy everything. And I'm in there like fast and the furious bolting them on. Yeah. I'd be broke in no time. So sitting right. there with a scraper and a gallon of citrus peel, you know, citrus uh, strip um, was saving me money because I wasn't buying. I bought an Alpine deck for the car. So that was one thing. I don't want to talk too much about it, but uh, the one modern upgrade I did is I redid the whole stereo system because I like music mm, yeah, and it's a yeah. Targa. So the top's not on and you need to hear some sound. And so I put an Alpine deck in because I was like, yeah, that's kind of, you know, that time period Alpine. Yeah, sure. I got one that's kind of basic looking, um, but underneath the dash, I put a Rockford Fosgate amp to where all the speakers got some real juice. And then I changed the door cards. I took the doors off. And when I remade the cards, I made the holes bigger to where I could put six and a half in the door instead of whatever bullshit they had back in the eighties and then six by nines on the back. And actually it was one of my first 3d printed purchases was those are notorious for the back grates cracked from the sun. So oh, a right. guy was 3d printing replacement grills and I got a set of those, but, um, yeah, I, I ran this whole stereo and it was too loud. Like you had, you couldn't hear it. And then you turn the knob one click and it was too loud. And so I took that off. And at the same time, um, Alpine, came out actually i'm saying alpine it's a clarion i don't know if it's an alpine or a clarion it's an alpine uh they came out with a an accessory amp so it's almost like hey you've got your 15 watts or whatever but plug this in and now you've got 40 watts so it was a bump but it was just enough that now it sounds good and i i have a subwoofer in there too and the porsche guys thought that was hilarious that i have all these <laughs> things i've done to remove weight from the car and i have a subwoofer in the car yeah throw a bunch of weight back in yeah, yeah. it's one of those kickers that goes under the seat and it's under the passenger seat so poor kristen has to deal with that but I hit all the wires. Like I was under the dash. I'll tell you two things that were like so freeing with that car. When I got rid of the center console, I did have to relocate the hazard light switch um, because I mm. needed that one. And yeah. so I found a place to tuck the door lock button because I can just reach under the dash and hit that to lock the doors. But I'm like, where am I going to put this? And there was a a spot, three inch spot staring at me that had nothing in it. And I'm like, I'm putting it right the fuck there. And I bought a step drill bit. Um, bought like bought the most expensive one I could find because I didn't want to mess this up. And I drilled a pilot hole into the dash of a 35-year-old car and then took a step drill bit and bored it out until that hazard light would pop in. And it was so satisfying when I put that hazard light button in it and just right into the hole I had drilled, plugged it in. It works. I'm like, this nice. is legit. Ain't nobody got this shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, now. I love like extra switches and all that kind of shit in cars. Like you ever seen, you follow Crafty B? Mm -hmm. he's the yeah. hot rod guy so he makes these he casts these um switch panels that go in like hot rods and it's like headlights it, you know and it's all aluminum and he like hand stamps the letters and it's pretty cool and uh, i'm always like that's a cool thing i never have had a car that i could use that in but i was thinking it's cool to do stuff Bad. like that i'll tell you something yeah. prominently featured in this car from the 80s is the ashtray uh, <laughs> i don't even know where the ashtray is in my car now i think it's somewhere down i don't know but prominently right in the center of the dash. And what I've seen people doing lately is they modify those to where when you pull them out, they flip down and it's a cell phone holder. Oh, oh nice. Like, oh, yeah. shit. This might be on my to-do list. Maybe not by <laughs> the time this December race comes around. Because it's like, I always struggle where to put the phone in this car. And uh, mm -hmm. But that's that would be convenient. And it's in a prime spot right where the cigarette used to be. Yeah. Where are you going to put your Virginia Slims? Yeah. In my <laughs> mouth, son. We'll set that on the window ledge. I remember real quick, and then we'll, we'll get out of this. Uh, is this the Q3? Yeah, we can wrap up on this. Yeah. Uh, I remember in high school or junior high, something high school, I guess, I had a cousin who got caught smoking. And the way his mom caught him smoking was he 
got rid of the cigarettes and would spray cologne. Anybody who wore a bunch of cologne in high school smoked, but he didn't get the ash off the window, like the rubber on the window. So when he'd roll his window down and flick a cigarette, the ash had built up in that little black trim piece and his mom caught a, caught him smoking because of that. So I will remember that. Got to cover the evidence. Yeah, you got to watch your ash, boy. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this episode, please give us a review and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. So reach out to us on Instagram at Making Our Way Podcast or on Patreon. You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram or YouTube. I'm at High Caliber Craftsman. Dean is at Dean underscore Duplantis. And Christy is at Twisted Twine Woodworking. Lick it, stick it. See you later. Bye. And we'd like to take a minute and thank the folks over on our first tier of Patreon. We've got Jacob with Griffin Makes, Jacob from Other Dog Design, Keith Drennan from Blackthorn Concepts, Justin from Bear Maked, Jeff Stein, a weird guy, Dave Bauer, Caitlin Landrino, Morley Kurt, Greg from Platte Valley Woodworks, Brendan McDonough from McDonough Design, The Grant Alexander, Jen Griffin, The Black Sheep, Brian from Moonshine Leatherworks, The Makeshift Podcast, Maritime Knife Supply, Henry at HT1 Metalworks, Brad Harrison from Brad's Customs, Steve Delaney from One Old School Pirate, Kelsey Watson, Dan with Goofballs by Dan, Chris Powell from Full Steam Design, Spaghetti and Waffles, Rebecca Johansson, Ira Housework, Eric from Overall Makerworks, Ed Johns from ButtJoints.com, Dave Beckwith, Rob DeMarco, Dave at Atomic Airship, Earl III XYZ, and Dana and Emmett at Rescue Room on Summit. Thanks a bunch, folks.